0: And welcome to the What Up Podcast. This month, we are talking about the biggest and the baddest guys and gals that you ever did see in video games. We are talking about villains. Duh. Joining me, Bash. I have Becky. Hello. Andy.
1: What up, evil fuckers? <laughs> On fame.
0: And returning once more, we did not traumatize him last episode. Foxy.
2: Howdy, howdy, howdy. Oh, a new one. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, I'd like to point out that I absolutely was traumatized. It's just that I decided to come back anyway.
1: Hey. <laughs> That's the right attitude to have. We're all traumatized in our own ways by this yeah. podcast, in the fun way. Sure. Yeah, the fun drama.
0: Do you know what? I'm just going to move past that. Yep. Um. <laughs> straight into the huge. Some how are we's and what are we's playings? Yep, that works. Yeah, let's go to. with it, Becky. How are we and what have we been playing?
3: We are okay. Thank you. Is there a reason you're going full Shatner?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have been watching Star Trek again. Like yeah. I'm trying to blast my way through the last of season three. So maybe maybe it's just embedded in there a little bit. Yeah, you just got some weird vocal patterns for a bit.
3: Yeah, I'm good. I have been playing a few things. I played Somerville from former... Oh gosh, what's the company name? Who did Inside and Limbo. Anyway, yes. this... They went on to form Jumpship. who made Somerville. I played Somerville. It's really cool. Very much recommended for fans of those games. And Oxenfree, it's kind of a blend of those vibes. And also, I have recently discovered Graveyard Keeper. And now Graveyard Keeper is my life. I have lots of little zombie friends who are helping me run my graveyard, and I'm in love. So that's yes, that's what I've been playing. It has a left-wing donkey, guys.
0: I don't know how I could not love Every yeah. Every time I hear you talk about this game, it makes me want to play it, which is impressive because I'm not one for Sims mm-hmm. very much.
2: Oh, I'm, I'm fully on board from the description <laughs> and, and, and from the, the elaboration of the, the left-wing donkey. I'm not sure if you get right-wing donkeys, but...
3: I don't know, but this one is very... Nigel Farage. Hey! (laughs) Yeah, this is a very communist donkey.
2: Right-wing donkeys also can't get bank accounts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Foxy, how are you doing? And what have you been playing?
2: Uh, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I've been playing Divinity 2 Original Sin. Nice. I really, really loved uh, Divine Divinity when it came out in 2000 and whatever. And I played what I assume was about one third of the game about three times, because the copy that I had had a a kind of game breaking bug in it that happened on each new save. So I've played a third of Divine Divinity a few times. But yeah, it's it's great. Although I should I should really be banned from being put in front of character creation screen. (laughs) It's like it's the agony of choice. I'm sat there for like three friggin hours looking at stats i don't understand <laughs> looking at abilities that i have no frame of reference for and like after the three hours i still haven't got any further and i just randomly take a stab at something this is why i don't have a tattoo <laughs> <laughs> but yeah any, anyway it's, it, it's very it's very D D, but it has like kind of little adjustments to the kind of standard fantasy lore stuff that kind of keep it quite fresh things like like the elves are depicted as being much more kind of tribal in nature and they they can, like, gain specific memories from a person when they eat their flesh. Ew. <laughs> yeah, very odd. Also, Ed does throw up those kind of comedy D&D moments where, like, I thought I was going to have to fight a guy. And then he he was just like, oh, God, what's that smell? And I had, like, randomly picked up a severed leg
4: earlier on.
2: <laughs> and and he was like, Mm, yeah, I know that's this particular person's leg because i can smell her on it and it smells good so i just like handed the leg over and i got the item that i was looking for in return and the guy didn't fight me (laughs) very (laughs) odd but yeah that's what i've been playing
0: (laughs) very good thank you (laughs) andrew how are you what have you been playing talk to
1: me i'm doing adequately we'll take it yeah (laughs) so i was initially going to talk about a game called beat cup it's it was a job simulator where you play a police officer who uh basically writes parking tickets but the uh, quote-unquote edgy writing got in the way of it and I had to like Mm. stop playing it after a while. It's that L.A. noir thing where just because just because it's about cops in a period setting in the 1980s that doesn't mean you have to write everybody as racists. I got turned off after about I tried for about an hour on that and gave up on it but I got it for like a quid so I feel like that's fine. What I have been playing a lot of is Dave the Diver. (laughs) Uh, It came out Mm. like this week I think and (laughs) First of all, it's very funny that this got its big promotional push like a week after a bunch of rich people imploded under the sea. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Andy,
0: Andy. It wasn't a week. It was the day after. Yeah. The day after. It released the day after. Oh fucking hell. <laughs> they just Rest in so it was all over the front page of Steam the day after we found out that they'd imploded. Like, talk about <laughs> impressive timing. I mean, <laughs> e-
1: even if I hadn't already had the game on my wish list, that would have got it on my wish list. <laughs> 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 it's it's a really good game. It's like got a great visual style, pixel art, but it's also got, I guess it's voxel. Like it's kind of that three D but pixel. Like a pixelated 3 d kind of look, kind of like minecraft or teardown or stuff like that, the underwater sections are just insanely beautiful. Basically, you play this dude called Dave, if you haven't guessed, and you go underwater and harpoon fish, and then in the evening, you work <laughs> at a sushi restaurant that your <laughs> friend owns with the fish that you caught there's like lots of unlocks and stuff and but there's also like a storyline running through it with giant monster squids and mermaid civilizations and all sorts of crazy stuff and Psycho eco-warriors with rocket launchers that keep blowing up parts of the, the coral trying to stop you. <laughs> it's, it's got a really good sense of humour and really inventive visuals. Every time you unlock a new recipe, there's this elaborate anime-style samurai sequence with the chef. <laughs> it's just, it's like a fi- almost like a fishing simulator crossed with a job simulator working in a restaurant. So there's two things together. No one thing upstairs it's welcome. So by the time you've finished fishing for the day... You go work in the restaurant, so like it keeps things fresh. It's just really, really entertaining and funny and just surprisingly stunning looking. Like the underwater sequences, when it's raining, you see the raindrops piercing the top of the water above you. They didn't need to do that detail, but it's such a beautiful little touch. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. You should get it and also laugh about the people that imploded. (laughs) Jesus. You don't have to do both, but do at least do one of them, whichever is affordable. Rest in peace. rest in one piece
0: <laughs> oh and on that note i'm gonna move as swiftly along if we would allow me the space to have a little rant
1: about yes, Pokemon. always
0: uh, yeah absolutely
1: always rant yes
0: always always be ranting no 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 so i love pokemon games right i grew up with them i had them right since yellow uh you know blue and red whatever but yellow yellow was my one that i like really hooked me i've talks before about how I even had like the matching Game Boy, like I had the yellow Game Boy and everything. So, uh, special place in heart, etc, etc, for Pokemon games. Especially the mainline ones. Anyway, my my 10-year-old recently got into Pokemon Violet, specifically. I offered him the choice. He picked poorly. (laughs) Scarlet is objectively (laughs) cooler looking in terms of the legendary, anyway. Fine. Whatever. (laughs) And I had actually played Scarlet a little bit when it first came out on my partner's Switch because he got Scarlet and we both played it a little bit when this is shite and uh, <laughs> decided to not buy it. Anyway, my son having it and you know, it was a way to like, he's getting like fully obsessed with Pokemon and this being his first proper mainline Pokemon. And I'm so sad for him that this would be the first <laughs> proper one because right, so I've I've been playing it again and I'm now about, I don't know, maybe 10 hours into the game and guys, it's still shite. (laughs) It is possibly one of the buggiest games I've ever played. It's so shocking, right? Because it's Nintendo. It is a Nintendo and Pokemon Company game. There is like a level of quality that you just expect from those franchises that I don't know what Game Freak we're up to Or them when they signed off, what Game Freak had done. I don't know, right? But it is laggy. The frame rates drop out constantly. Uh, So things in the background. And when I say background, I don't mean like in the distant background. I mean like right behind you. (laughs) Move like (sighs) robotically, like they drop frames constantly. There's all kinds of clipping. Just constant things clipping that shouldn't be. The scenery popping is like... I don't know reminiscent of something from like playstation one or two or something you'll be riding along you know on your weird little bicycle pokemon because sure that's a thing and then things will just literally be in front of you and you're like oh they weren't there like literally a second ago but sure it just slows it down constantly me and my partner have a theory that it's because it's trying to load the whole open world all the time you know rather than chunking off the open world elements but beside all of the performance stuff anyway i also turns out really don't appreciate the way they've designed the open world which is to say i think that there's a lot of examples in open worlds and i think you know as someone who's only recently got into like these massively open world type games but i still come to expect and realize that like open world The world itself can be open, but generally speaking, you are still sort of semi-directed which way to go, right? If the things you need to do have a logical order in which to do them. So there's eight gyms in this game and they absolutely are sort of leveled you know so the pokemon in one where your battle boy will be like i don't know level eight to ten and the pokemon in one of the other one will be like level 40 but you can go straight to the level 41 just by fucking accident and be like oh no i can't do this at all i didn't experience that but my son very much did because oh. i got the advice from my partner who played it first to help my son he was like you might want to just he's like even if you don't read what to do just bring up a guide of the order in which to do things and you will have a much better time And it's true i'm having a much better time i've just i can't remember the last time something just shat the bed so much they've patched it like once maybe twice since it came out and obviously it's still not fixed for the most part like they put out an apology like people requested refunds that's how bad it was it's just horrendous to play all of that aside though right i don't know if it's because i'm a collecting addict i don't know I don't know what it is, right? But guys, it's still a Pokemon game. And I'm still having a good time playing it. And I feel so conflicted. Because it's the worst Pokemon game I've ever played. And yet I'm also like, but it's still a Pokemon game. And I must collect them all. So so yeah. I, I cannot, in all good faith, recommend it to a single person on the planet.
1: Like Sold. there
0: is there are better Pokemon games to play by far. But do you know what? beneath it all the original pokemon mechanics are still it's still pokemon it is still collecting pokemon it's still battling with your trainers and stuff and it is still like getting way too attached to slowpoke and gengar (laughs) got my boys already who gives a shit about anything else, right? <laughs> Once you've got your Pokémon. If I could have a Cubone, I can't. You, literally, they're not in this particular one. But if I could have a Cubone, then I'd like have my. I'd be like, I'm, I'm sorted. I literally don't need any other Pokémon.
2: Wait, so in, so in new Pokémon games, you can get, you can still get the old Pokémon.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in this one, there are 400 Pokémon oh, that Jesus. you can collect in the game, <laughs> and 110 of them are new. Well, you said oh Jesus, right? <laughs> there are currently 1,010. Pokémon.
2: No, there are Gone are the
0: days of 150 (laughs) that fit on one poster. There are absolutely not
2: that many Pokémon. There are are. are 151 Pokémon.
1: I can name about five.
0: (laughs) No, no. (laughs) (laughs) There are now over a thousand Pokémon. We have currently in the house the guide that's like 800 and something, but it doesn't include the DLC from Sword and Shield and it doesn't include Scarlet Violet. So yeah, there are over a thousand Pokémon. Currently, I'm like, oh, it's like 10 times more than what I'm used to. And my party is still made up of my party of six. Like two thirds of them are still from the original 151. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't want your new Pokemon. I want my Pokemon. I picked Croc. I picked uh, Fuecoco this time. The little red crocodile. Oh, yeah. Who is currently Cute. turned into a Crocolor, And then he becomes a Skeledurge which is like a crocodile with a skelly head and it's a ghost fire type. And I'm like, yep, sure, we're into that. (laughs) The only other thing I did want to mention in terms of the new mechanics they introduced, aside from this like bizarre, completely open world, literally go off and fucking fend for yourselves, lads, was something called terrestrializing. It's really hard to explain other than say, literally, just go Google it, what they look like. But basically you can do a thing where you turn your Pokemon into... Like crystallized versions of themselves, and they get like a stupid crystal hat thing, which which, which huh. like dedicates them to their terror type. So like your fire type gets like a crystal chandelier on its head, and your fighting <laughs> okay. types get like a crystal boxing glove on their head, and it is the ugliest mechanic. Oh <laughs> God! I'm so looking at much.
2: them. I'm looking at them right now, and I can't look away. <laughs>
0: so awful.
2: Pikachu's got like (laughs) like, balloons coming out of his head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Play it. Don't play it. I don't know. I'm like, I'm finding that I'm playing it in all of my spare time currently. So I don't know what that says about me when I also sit there and go every minute I'm playing it. I feel myself like I feel ashamed of myself. (laughs) Like, like, why am I playing this game? Literally play any other Pokemon game. But, But here we are. Here we are, Sasha's unraveling <laughs> at the hands of bloody Pokemon. So yeah, you know that's 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 what's consuming my time at the moment. Oh, Sasha! I know. I know. The only the only good thing is that little Reb has the Switch so often that it stops me from literally playing it all the time. That's that's all. That's all stopping me at the minute which is a problem in and of itself <laughs> anyway shall we move on <laughs> sure
4: Do from let's.
0: sasha's rant about pokemon do you feel better stamp, 15 minutes no uh, i'll never feel better i'll feel better when it's done and <laughs> and i can free myself from from this bastard game <laughs> and, from, and from my head teacher Who is currently dressed as, so he's like called Clavel, Professor Clavel. But there's like a whole storyline for one of the particular paths that you do. So there's three different kind of things you have to collect. There's the gyms, there's titans, titan battles. And then there's what's called the Team Star Bases. And he's in the Team Star track. But but he's not, he's dressed as a student. He's totally normal academy student, Clive. (laughs) Cliff? No, Cliff totally normal academy student cliff and it's great because every time you're like but clavel it's you right he's like no i'm totally normal academy student cliff and i'm like do you know what sure like (laughs) why
1: not why not
0: have this be a thing like that
1: sounds fun actually (laughs)
0: like i say i think like if it ever went on sale for about a tenner go for it but it never will because it's nintendo so no yeah (laughs) no I can't recommend anyone spend like actual money on it anyway sorry I'm done we're going to put it behind us and we're going to talk about you know we're going to unravel two other things instead we're going to unravel while talking about villains because you know I for one think this is going to be a really fun conversation because for me I'm going to be like yes and I fancy them all (laughs) (laughs) Let's just let's just get right into it. What do we look for in a good video game villain? Does anyone want to jump in or am I gonna have to do the school teacher thing of like you go?
1: <laughs> do the school teacher thing.
0: Okay. I'm gonna need to do that school teacher thing yeah, then. Do it. Yes. Yeah. Andy, you go.
1: Okay. It's my fault for speaking first. Yep. It is. a rookie mistake. School error. <laughs> so there's generally a broad range of things that I love to see in video game villains. It can often be quite contradictory, but there's one factor that I do think is essential to any good video game villain, and it's the concept that came from the world of wrestling. I've been watching wrestling for as long as I've been playing video games, basically, and it's called heat, basically. In wrestling psychology, a heel needs to get heat from the crowd. Everything they do needs to be engineered towards making sure the crowd hates their guts like hates them enough that they'll be willing to pay to watch them lose a match. The villain needs to give you a good enough reason to want to see them lose. So you can have sympathetic villains, like almost like Baldur in God of War, like you occasionally feel bad for him, or you can have compelling and interesting villains like Odin in God of War Ragnarok. (laughs) But ultimately... What they do as a villain needs to outweigh any of those other things. So you still want to see them go down, even if you feel bad for them. Because there has to be that need to beat them, or that dramatic payoff is going to be like a waste of time. Or the boss battle at the end. You need the motivation to power through the boss battle, because... You know, sometimes boss battles can be a fucking pain in the ass. Basically, every Uncharted game has a terrible final boss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you need the emotional stakes to like drive you through. You need to want to see this bad guy go down to get around some really poor game design choices in that case. It needs to be either the villain's actions that make you want to beat them or your own motivations as a protagonist need to be too great to ignore. I'm thinking of like the final level of The Last of Us, where the Fireflies aren't necessarily villains, but they're standing in the way of Joel and Ellie. So playing as Joel, you're ready to just take them all down, set the world ablaze, use them as the fucking firewood. You just, you need that motivation and the villain or your antagonist needs to give that to you. needs to be that need to destroy them basically yeah
0: obviously 100 percent agree foxy anything for you to add like what do you look for
2: i don't know if this is controversial but i want my villains to be as ludicrous as possible (laughs) i want i want them to be ludicrous in the writing and ludicrous in the design like i am not looking for subtlety in my video games you know call your initially sympathetic doctor character dr frank stein Like, I don't care. (laughs) I I feel like Wolfenstein had this sort of shit nailed years ago where they were just, like, slamming back tequila and they were just going, okay, so, like, let's make the end boss, like, literally Hitler. But, like, you know, maybe he's in a tank. No, he's in a mech suit and he's got Gatling guns for arms. You know, I want, I want like, maniacal laughter. I want them so hammy that you could serve them in Wetherspoons with a fried egg and a slice of pineapple. Like, (laughs) Like... Dr. Fetus from Super Meat Boy, you know, he's a fetus in a jar with a little top hat. Bam, done. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I guess there's like, there's some like specific things, I guess, that I, that I also quite like to see. I quite like the whole shifting allegiances thing. I'm a big fan of when you get those kind of lower level mid-game villains, where for whatever reason, you have to like work together for a bit. And you know that they want you dead, but circumstances have kind of thrown you together and you have to to just make it through for now, I guess a, a kind of memorable one of them whiny little asshole sort of villain is um, Vinnie Gogniti from the Max Payne series. Oh yeah, yeah, he's like this like wise guy New York gangster type. But in the second game, you you show up <laughs> wanting to get some information out of him, and you kind of walk in and are like, "What what the hell has happened here?" And he's just like, "The Russian tricked me," and he's wearing this ludicrously like comically oversized costume of his favorite comic book character which is called captain baseball bat boy but there's like a bomb (laughs) in the head of it that'll go off if he takes it off so you're then stuck trying to defend this kind of low-level villain from the russian mob while he like waddles around in these stupidly sized clown shoes getting stuck (laughs) in doors and screaming at you like to like save him (laughs) so yeah stuff like that or like when the when the Villains kind of starts out as a friend, but then there's like a, a kind of dramatic shift and you get to carry over all that baggage into their kind of villain phase, like Wheatley from Portal 2. Yeah, it's a good shop. My last thing that I look for in a villain is I like when the villain is you. Ooh. Anyone who like knows my gaming taste knows how much of a, a dungeon keeper fanboy I am. And the whole tagline of that series was, it's good to be bad. It's you in your dungeon with your, your torture chambers and your farting demons and your rigged casinos. Versus the legions of goody-two-shoes knights and and heroes who want to storm down there and get rid of you. So you get to to fill in the villain role and do the whole, like, I'm not bad evil. I'm like, you know, I'm like deliciously evil.
0: Almost ludicrously evil, as it were. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, absolutely. The more outrageous a villain, the better. If they're truly evil, just make them the most cartoon evil. So cartoonishly evil that there's no possible way... (laughs) that you can sympathise, empathise anything. Or the flip side of that, you know, that more emotional resonance of being very torn and upset by (laughs) who a villain might be. Becky, anything for you that you look for? So I tend to err on the side of subtlety
3: more so. Not necessarily in terms of... Sorry? (laughs)
1: I said, fight, fight, fight. (laughs) (laughs) Who's
3: the villain of this episode? No, so because I tend to like sort of very kind of big sweeping narrative games, I really love a good villain with strong motivations. You know, someone who thinks they're doing the right thing. They're charismatic. They're kind of thematically interesting as well. So the example I've got for this is Dutch Vanderland from Red Dead Redemption 2. And also Red Dead Redemption, but mostly... Two in this particular case where you basically watch this man slowly corrupt himself over the course of the game and he listens to micah bell
1: the biggest wanker in the universe the
3: worst <laughs> just kill him um it won't let me shoot him earlier in the game and it drives me crazy
1: um, <laughs> yeah, i remember blowing him up with some dynamite during yeah. the mission. as they said you killed micah and start over no no he's correcting the timelines
3: (laughs) i wanted him to die (laughs) so micah kind of forms this almost reverse reflection to arthur morgan the protagonist in that arthur used to be dutch's right-hand man was very much in his confidence he trusted him and micah kind of worms his way into that position but unlike arthur he's very selfish and just devotes himself to sowing chaos amid this group that were previously very tight and dutch goes along with that he he's thoroughly corrupted by it and to me they are the most compelling villains where you can see where they went wrong and a lot of the game is about you kind of avoiding the same pitfalls as the protagonist so another one is the elusive man from mass effect was another one that I thought of as an example for this where he's very charismatic and his motivations make sense like you can understand why he's doing what he's doing and whilst I do love a good cartoon villain they're the ones that I tend to remember more because I find myself thinking about them more, especially in sort of morality choice-based games where you can go along with these people for a good while and see what the consequences are of that but you can also go against it and see what the consequences are of that so I I like a villain that kind of forces you to really evaluate your choices having said that I'm a complete wuss so I will always pick the honorable choices regardless because I can't can't be nasty to NPCs so yeah it just doesn't happen But yeah, and I think like the ultimate example of this, and it's someone I know we've all talked about before, is the like the one-two punch of Andrew Ryan and Atlas in mm. Bioshock, and that kind of the shifting allegiances, the the morality issues, you know, which side do you fall on? Both of them are objectively terrible, but they make sense, and they make sense as a character. So yeah, they're they're the villains I tend to love.
0: No, motivation definitely matters, and I think there's a lot of space in there for you know, more subtle villains. I think it really, when I talk about things being, like, outrageous and, you know, as unhinged as possible, <laughs> I think it's just because those are probably the kind of games I play. Yes, yeah. In the first mm. place.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with those kind of villains either. Like, you know, the Joker in Arkham Asylum works because he is so over the top. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is that thing of, like, For me, when I think of them being like that sort of over-the-top, you know, I I do think... Like, Joker was a prime example of when we first talked about this, one that came to mind as one that's just so impactful. And, you know, he's utterly motivationless. Yes. (laughs) Aside from being a menace to Batman. And truly villainous. Like, you know, the Batman Arkham Asylum game especially is, like, so much darker and grittier than much of the other Batman media outside of the comics. But it's still so oddly charming like that he's Mm. so like you don't outright hate him though you probably should you know yeah I think there's a lot of that I think of you know the other outrageous villains like the bear from Danganronpa Murakama Murakuma the fucking bear from Danganronpa (laughs) that absolute turd of a bear that I adore with all of my heart it is yin yan like half black half white and just everything said with a smile on his face but also literally terrorizing children (laughs) like (laughs) you don't follow my rules you will die also you need to kill each other and like i don't know it's all coming from a very cute but evil bear he's just pure evil personified yeah that's the kind of you know that's the shit that i'm here for if it's if it's got to be grounded in reality fine (laughs) i will take that too but you know <laughs>
3: <laughs> i know you and i have very different tastes
0: <laughs> yeah well you know <laughs> well, it's weird though because i don't know like i say all of this though and when we get to talking about i don't know any specific like favorite villains i do actually think my favorite villain falls very much into what you were describing becky mm. so we'll see We talked about what makes good, then, you know, the very obvious is to flip that on its head. What's What makes for a bad villain? I'm going to open the floor on this one, because I'm going to say a boring one. Uh.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's the kind the kind that you don't remember
0: yeah i've got forgettable that's exactly what i've written (laughs) if they're if they're so utterly forgettable so utterly devoid of anything that's interesting whether it's subtle motivation whether it's you know less full villain but more just like you know slight antagonist or whatever the boring ones are truly truly the worst (laughs) yeah
2: yeah sometimes they're not even it's not even that they're boring it's that the game itself forgets about them. Yes. And that they just sit back and get forgotten about in the background and uh, like you need to be pressed on them and, and their motivation or even just their presence every now and then. Like much as I like Skyrim, I don't know Becky likes Skyrim, but like yeah. Al-, Al Al Alduin, is that the name of the yes. dragon?
3: This, this like, <laughs> literally what I've written was like <laughs> Skyrim. Who the fuck was the villain? <laughs> <laughs> oh it's wow. Like, it's like
2: it's the it's the dragon, isn't it? Like that's yeah, the main Yeah, it is. Villain. It is
3: the dragon. Yeah, yeah. The, the dragon just kind of looks stuff. the
2: same. It just kind of looks the same as the other dragons. And like, I I don't remember encountering him after the beginning. Like maybe I just didn't get that far. But it's it did just seem like every now and then somebody would would talk about him and go, "Ooh, scary dragon." And I'm like, he kind of looked like all the other ones that I've been killing.
3: <laughs> yeah, he was just a bit bigger, I think. <laughs> which like and especially cuz in Skyrim like all the little like narrative threads you find there are way more interesting villains there like um in the mm. dark brotherhood quest line the thieves guild quest line you know all of these there are really interesting characters in there but the overall villain is dog shit
2: yeah i, I think that's a problem with all the, the elder scrolls games though is that there's there's so much interesting side stuff to do
3: mm.
4: that
2: a lot of people just don't bother with the main quest yeah. what's his name is it dagoth ur who's like the the villain in in Morrowind and you know bit of a nothing (laughs) ending there I don't even remember who was the the villain in the fourth one either in Oblivion
1: no idea yeah yeah not (laughs) a clue I played that game so much I'm not a clue
2: but like you say I I remember the stuff to do with the Dark Brotherhood and and all that sort of thing but
3: uh... Mm. it's the same with Dragon Age Inquisition I found as well like I could not tell you who the villain of that game was I know they did some weird shit and they were the reason for you getting your powers. But other than that, I don't know. I mean, to be fair though, I did spend most of that game just trying to get to the cutscenes with other different characters rather than like actually playing the main story. But yeah, I that was another example. Like, I don't know, like fantasy villains, they're either great or they're not. Like I find there's very rarely kind of mediocre, it's it's one or the other.
1: Yeah, my, my notes basically it's kind of the same as what everyone else has been saying. Like I put it as underutilising them in the story. Mm. examples that came to my mind from the Arkham series. I was just thinking of the massive difference between how the Joker and Hugo Strange are presented in Asylum and City mm. versus how Scarecrow feels in Night. They don't need to always be around, but that you need to feel like they're, they're a presence in the story. Like Even if they're not physically there, you need to feel like their actions are being done through the guys you're beating up or something. Yeah. And Scarecrow never once got that feeling with him in Arkham Knight. All the bad guys you're fighting represent the Arkham Knight or Red Hood, if we're being serious. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What? I I never felt Scarecrow really mattered. He was definitely the third most important villain in that story and one of them wasn't even alive at the time. The Joker was far more important as a villain and he (laughs) was just like a weird little voice in your head half the time. You'd need to make your villain feel like they matter Mm. or I'm not going to give a shit about beating them.
2: I swear I played Arkham Knight, and I don't even remember Scarecrow being in it.
1: <laughs> like, well, just, that's a
3: damning indictment.
2: Yeah, I, I, I was like, when you started talking there, I was like, hang on, was he the villain? <laughs> I remember the knight part, but no, I don't... I don't wow.
1: Exactly. I can't no. <laughs>
3: And Asylum achieves it so easily as well by just having Joker on the PA system. Like, you know, obviously there's all the teeth and stuff hanging around, but all it is is him heckling you over the PA system. And it's so effective at just reminding you that he's controlling everything. You know, it doesn't have to be, as you say, like some really complicated way of inserting them into the story. It can just be they make their presence known every now and again.
1: And in Asylum, there were moments where you'd get really close to catching him and then Mm. he'd get away. So yes. he was, he'd was he make his presence known and then slink back off in the background and let the rest of the side stories and stuff like that. Like you never did that with Scarecrow. He was always a distant presence. He was just like a guy on a loudspeaker. It's like, could have been saying anything. He could have been talking about what's on sale at the <laughs> Walmart or whatever. Didn't give, didn't give Slater shit.
0: I think it says a lot that even in, as we're talking here, it's kind of, Hard to name some of the bad examples other than, like, say, from the big games. <laughs> yeah. Because we've probably <laughs> forgotten about them.
4: Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm I mean... going, yeah
0: can i think of one and then i'm like no not
2: really (laughs) i I think the the other the other danger run into is is making side characters so interesting that people just remember them yeah or like so memorable like just even like when i was just talking about max Payne 2 there like i remember vinnie cogniti i i don't actually think i can remember the name of the main villain of that story like i remember where it where it where it ended
1: is it vlad i'm just guessing because they were russian (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely Vlad, yeah. It
3: says a lot when these are games that, you know, I mean, God knows how many hours I put into Skyrim, but, you know, it says a lot when you're putting those hours into a game and you really enjoy them and the villains still don't stand out. And, you know, it's not essential for a good game, but I think it, they make a good game better when it happens.
0: Mm. Yeah, completely. Yeah. At least games that, you know, do have that focus on an antagonist. Yes. To your protagonist. Because obviously not all games have that, but Yeah. There is a lot to be said for that. Here come here comes the spicy question that none of you knew were coming until just now. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Gasp. <laughs> Am I the villain of this podcast? Almost certainly. Yes. No, no, <laughs> There's no
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Your inciting incident is the Pokemon game.
4: Oh, I know. It is. That, that, that will
0: it will be my villain origin story, will that game? <laughs> anyway, yes. I was curious. We talked a little bit about what makes a good video game villain, what makes a bad one. And I also just wanted to briefly touch on villain or antagonist tropes and what maybe you liked in those and dislikes. I'm gonna throw it out there right away. I love I love a secret villain. I love when you're going along in a game and it's someone that you've built up trust with and you like, you know, you're like, this is my bro, this is my pal, fucking love this person, and then they turn on you gasp nothing nothing motivates me more when it comes to an antagonist <laughs> there's someone who i was like you were supposed to be my friend and um, and, then they, and then they turn on you i i don't i know it's a trope and i don't even care i'm still i'm still here for it entirely as a thing
2: oh yeah definitely
0: the one that like super came to mind for me is one from persona 5 but I don't want to spoil Persona 5. So that is the difficulty with this particular trope because I never want to... But I'll just say there's one particular antagonist that's like, just be stabbed to the heart. <laughs> and, you know, that's a game that's all about, you know, building relationships with you know, your companions and the people who, you know, you max out all the relationships and stuff and can become besties with, like, everybody and stuff. And so there's nothing quite like... Having a pal turn out to be the bad guy, and they do it more than once. And I'm like, yes, I'm here for it every time. Because <laughs> there's an aside: Persona Vive antagonists absolutely fall into that ludicrous, outrageously designed and outrageous combat. They're just so cartoonish much of the time. It gets more grounded as the game goes on with them, but yeah, like just mwah, Chef's Kiss. For. I couldn't I couldn't pick a single one antagonist that I liked the best in the game because all of them I had such good reasons to kick them in the face as many times as I could but yeah that is that is a trope that I personally really enjoy and I've made sure I talk about that for a few minutes to give you all chance to think of something for yourselves so now we're opening the floor see I can be malevolent benevolent benevolent got the wrong way around yes, I can be benevolent <laughs> We know you can be malevolent. <laughs> Does anyone have any other tropes that they like?
3: I really love when existing IPs use a healthy dose of dramatic irony throughout their game <sighs> to really lay it on thick when those betrayals happen. So Spider-Man, I think, is one of the best examples of that. The most recent game, for sure. In terms of, you know, the whole doc arc story, like origin story that's going on in the background, but also like the Norman Osborn Harry Osborn stuff, I think it it treads a very fine line between hammering you over the head with, well, you know these guys are villains, to actually making those characters really understandable and sympathetic so that, you know, when the switch and the turn actually does come and the Rikers Island reveal, it was just amazing i really love when a game understands its audience and respects them enough to play with that sort of prior knowledge that they're bringing to the story
0: yeah i completely agree foxy andy anything from you
1: i like it when the villain was a character or even like the main character of a previous game Ooh. main example that comes to yes. mind is uh, legacy of cain blood omen like, you play as Kane in that game, then you skip to Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver, and Kane is now, he's been completely corrupted by his rise to power, and he is the main villain now. I love that shit. I also like the flip side of it, where a villain from a previous game is now the hero of a new game. So that would be like going from fighting Big Boss in Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2 to playing as a young version of him in Metal Gear Solid 3. I, I, it's, I like flipping things on their heads like that. It always keeps you guessing, and you're like, You've got a bit more of an investment in their arcs. You knew them in some way or form.
0: I don't know if I have a game example of that, but I fucking love the trope of an antagonist joining the party. Yes. <laughs> Looking at you, my beloved Vegeta in Dragon Ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here for it, man. I'm here for it. There are several examples in Final Fantasy 14 of that, like the ones who they start out as your big bads. Another beloved of mine, Emmett Selk. Oh, could just understand why as you build more into his story you understand why. And also when he becomes this sort of like begrudging, like actually kind of your friend. But because he was the bad guy for a while, you're like, hmm, don't quite trust you. But like you're so you're so charismatic and you're so sassy and I like that, you know, I guess keep negging me and we'll just be friends. Like, why not? <laughs> um Yeah, no, I know. I'd love that shit. This is a weird episode for me, guys. I apologize now. Um It's but- all right. We we know you well yeah enough to not, yeah
3: this is not unexpected
0: <laughs> <laughs> no not at all like i said i can't think of it as many many examples of games like i've not written anything down but as you mentioned that i'm like you know that's absolutely just like in narrative anything's in a narrative i absolutely love that when the villain becomes the friend enemies to lovers is like a you know, it's mm. that kind of thing, isn't it? The classic spicy novel trope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just, it's just that, but toned down. Mm-hmm. They hate each other, but they're gonna bang. <laughs> <laughs> Foxy, anything else from you on from tropes that we see?
2: Mm, this is a this is a tough one to spring on me. I like the whole mad scientist destroyed by own creation type trope mm. i like the whole hubris thing which you get quite a lot of in gaming but ah oh, what's the other one i think ah oh, right yeah yeah yeah. okay I think one of the ones i like the most is when you get really really overconfident villains who realize right at the end that they've actually been screwed over by an even bigger villain <laughs> i love that when they're they're laughing at you and they're like ha 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 i've My perfect plan has come together perfectly. And then you get top-tier villain, one step above them, who says, actually, uh, this was my plan, not your plan. (laughs) And now you're screwed. I am struggling to think of examples. I know that there are some there, because I was thinking about it at some point, but I, yeah, I do like that. The little mask-dropping moment when they're like, oh, no, I'm not the smartest person in the room.
0: I mean if it helps at all i can think of an example of that again from final fantasy 14 because honestly (laughs) given how big that game is how long it's been running there's going to be versions of them all the bad guy has a whole speech you know he thought he was the smartest person in the room type gaius and he's like such devastation this was not my intention and it's great (laughs) every time and it's like and then the guy who actually was like it's just laughing away you know doing like maniacal evil laughing as he disappears and it's like we will speak later la habrea and it's like (laughs) (laughs) well okay he got done there's a great meme of that as an aside because basically it's a big explosion and my favorite meme version of that was on turkey day in america as someone had like put a turkey in like just a literal giant oil vat that was just filled with boiling hot oil and as the turkey was lowered into it it obviously essentially exploded into, like, a f- flaming ball of turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, so the video starts with that, which is already pretty funny, because, you know, it just is. Like, who would do that and think that's a good idea? Like, this is how we're going to cook the turkey. And then it cuts to the, <laughs> the post-explosion, the such devastation. <laughs> this was not my intention. And it's, like, just the perfect implementation of Gaius, like, one of the most famous lines in the entire game.
2: I have just realized that... An example of that is literally from the game that I was going to talk about in this episode. So, but but we'll get to that.
0: Interesting, interesting. (laughs) So I was just doing a really bad version of voice acting. We're going (laughs) to smoothly transition right into, yes, thank you, thank you. Man, I am good sometimes. How important is voice acting? The music, the art design, the combat design, like what are the elements of the most important things for you Um, and truth be told it might be a combination of them all but I'm interested to hear what you all feel what are the things that sort of really cement the villains for you Andy opening with you
1: you definitely need a hook of some sort for your villains like it's got to be at least one of those things you mentioned to stand out I think of Sephiroth designed a tall hot goth boy with a massive sword swoon (laughs) that visually stands out quite a lot but then you add the fact that he's got Two fucking theme tunes, not just one, two, and both absolute (laughs) bangers. Like there was no way that dude wasn't gonna become iconic.
0: Seeing that performed live at the you know, the Final Fantasy Live orchestral, it's it's life changing, to be honest. (laughs) When they're when they're projecting a giant image of Sephiroth upon the screen. As the or Christian beneath is playing the theme and the choir is singing and you're just like, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I see it now. Mm-hmm. Continue anyway. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you sure, you,
2: sure you, don't, you don't want a minute?
1: <laughs> oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. But there's also voice acting and different things. I, the best one I can think of for voice acting would be Mark Hamill as the Joker.
3: Mm. Yeah, but that was my example as so. well.
1: Obviously, the best Joker absolutely crushed every scene he was in. And he helped carry Arkham Knight's fairly shitty story. They were the best parts of the game. But he he was so vital to making that character work in those games. Because a character like the Joker can get old very quickly if you're not doing it right. For an example, see Jared Leto in Suicide Squad. <laughs> but I, also, I would also compare Mark Hamill's work in the Arkham Trilogy to Troy Baker's work in Arkham Origins. And there's a lot of really interesting Joker material in Arkham Origins. And Troy is very good, he's he's a great actor, very good in this role. He's never found in a performance in his life, but you can imagine how much more explosive those scenes would have been if Mark Hamill was playing the Joker. There's just levels to this and Mark Hamill could have taken Arkham Origins to that next level. And the final thing I was thinking of would be uh, GLaDOS from Portal. I feel like that character is the complete package, got a unique voice, great voice acting, it's a really cool, eye-catching design, and she sang her own theme tune in two different games. <laughs> Talent.
2: And they were both great.
1: They're both great songs. I sang one of them to a friend on a train drunk on the way home, and he got increasingly annoyed at me. Does not surprise me? I didn't stop. <laughs> that also does <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Huge success. <laughs>
0: Okay, how about you? You've already said about the Joker.
3: Yes, yes. So he was one of my examples. So for me, I think when dialogue is an essential part of the storytelling in a game, I think the voice acting for me has to come first because even if the music, the art design, the combat, etc., works and is really good, if the voice isn't right and the performance isn't right, the rest of it's going to fall flat. So I think, you know, yeah, Mark Hamill was one of them. Armin Shimmerman as Andrew Ryan is another with his like booming Orson Wells impression just makes that whole character so memorable, especially because you hear him more often than you see him. Obviously when you see him he doesn't remain visible for very long. Um, so <laughs> so I, I think you know for performances like that where you you need a character with presence, you know, the voice acting has to come first. And you know, all the all the villains that I think I would cite some of my favorites have also been great vocal performances as well
0: i think it's interesting when you mentioned about voice with the the vocal performances are absolutely super important one that i always think of as being like the perfect voice combined with the character was handsome jack mm. in the telltale series it's just one of those voices that i can always picture when I think of the character. But actually mm-hmm. voice as well in terms of the written voice, I think is really important. Yes. Yeah. If there is no voice acting. But you still need to get across that sort of, you know, malevolence. Yeah. I think, you know, it's also really important how that is written. Mm. Like in like Final Fantasy Seven would be one, like, for instance, wouldn't it? Because actually the original Final Fantasy Seven doesn't have voice acting. Yeah. No.
3: I was thinking of Stardew Valley as well with the... Mm. I can't remember what the corporate guy's called, but the one who represents the corporation and all of his very outlandish, very capitalist statements. So, you know, squash the small labourer and all this sort of stuff. I think that's a really good example. And actually, I just, I spotted on my notes, I, I missed this when I was talking before, Troy Baker's villain in Death Stranding was someone I brought out for the vocal performance because the actual character himself isn't great like he's very kind of one note but i think the vocal performance combined with the art design of the character makes him quite memorable in that way even though could be argued he's sort of not the main protagonist i don't know protagonists and antagonists even in death stranding is a bit woolly but his performance in that i think is a really good example of a vocal performance elevating a character beyond quite mediocre outlines
1: yeah he's got a lot of charisma and presence it's a nice contrast to sam's very restrained yes persona so he's very outlandish and very it's kind of like channeling a bit of a joker vibe sometimes yeah. very just stealing the scenes kind of thing even if he's not what he's saying isn't particularly memorable I yes couldn't, i couldn't recite a single line he said no but i can remember how he said them
3: but he, yeah, I think he performs as that classic malcontent quite well because he is quite a disruptive presence in the general vibe of the story.
0: So yeah, so that was just an example that I nearly forgot to mention. And for you, Foxy, is, is there any, either with voice acting, but obviously all the other stuff as well, the music, art design, the combat design, anything for you that is, or is it, is it indeed the voice? I think
2: it's not not necessarily the voice acting. i mean i i think for the all the examples that i can think of the voice acting is is the most important part but i i think that in conjunction with the art design and how you can get humor or or other things out of that kind of interplay i'm less fussed on the whole music and and combat design i i appreciate music when it's like when I'm in the moment, but I don't, I don't often find it. That that's a memorable part of a villain for me. I'm just not as I kind of tuned into it as as others are. But like I, I like when you get a, a kind of voice acting and, and performance and design that kind of that does something together. So like I knew I was going to find a way to squeeze one of my favorite games in. It's um, Sacrifice, amazing game. Like it pushed boundaries in like three D modeling and environments and gesture based controls and things. But Anyway, there are, there are five gods involved in the game, and at least four of them are villains. The only one who isn't is James, who's the god of Earth, who is just like a giant goofy earthworm who wears dungarees. Um, <laughs> like James, he's an earthworm. It's an earthworm gym joke.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but uh, my favorite out of the, the five gods is um, Stratos. He self-describes himself as the god of air supreme lord of the heavens bringer of storms all this sort of stuff and he's he's just deliciously smarmy and superior and that's of course why you get tim curry to voice him yeah. and you know he, he does all of all of this intro stuff and he's like just like you know let's be honest in any halfway civilized world i would be the only god
4: <laughs>
2: um so his, his the voice and the attitude's down and you know he's the one who kind of loves playing the other gods off against each other and feeling superior But the design of him is what makes the kind of cherry on top. Because the other gods fit kind, kind of well. Earthworm, god of earth. The god of fire has like leathery skin and a flaming crown. All the other gods kind of fit their thing. So how do you depict like the god of air? Maybe you'd like show him as like a swirling storm cloud or like a face in a hurricane or something. No, no. He's depicted as canister of compressed air with a balloon inflating out of the top of it (laughs) and and the balloon has a mouth and eyes scrawled on it in sharpie and the air canister has like a fine cloak kind of draped over it (laughs) it's it's amazing and like he directly addresses in the game that his true form is like too divine so he's taken this sleek dignified form that we see before us and as he's talking about this, you're looking at what looks like the fucking corner display in a post office that says, inflate balloons here, five pounds. I love it. It's like that kind of flip-flop between the, the superiority complex in the voice acting and the really goofy look. And I think my only other one of my favorite voice acting ones that I wanted to shout out was just from The Darkness. The darkness is like this kind of hereditary, supernatural demon version of like Venom. Yeah. And it's like tied to you and it's helpful, but the aim is to remove it from you. But it's it's got this cruel, mocking, sort of amused voice. And it's like, it's there all the time through the game. So you've got to get a great voice part to follow you along. So that one's voiced by Mike Patton from Faith No More. <laughs> oh, um,
3: wow. <laughs> yeah.
2: But he, but he does it kind of like, if you crossed Venom and... Gollum, but like kind of hissed and screamed all your lines a bit it's really really good he also plays the anger core in portal (laughs) so he seems to have a niche but yeah that role kind of lives or dies on on the voice performance and he really really nails it
1: i love the darkness really underrated yeah
2: i get the criticisms that get kind of launched at it but it is really really good and i think it's got like just a a really kind of affecting story as well on the sorry to, to wax on a bit but on the the subject of sound design for enemies. I I love any enemy where, like, you can hear them before you see them. So, like, the headless kamikazes from Serious Sam. If you've, like, never seen them, it's just, like, a buff dude who's, like, carrying comically large bombs in each hand, and he just (laughs) runs at you, screaming constantly. But the thing is, he doesn't, like, they don't have heads, so there's no explanation as to where the screaming is coming from. (laughs) It's just, like, another one of those great kind of nonsense design gags. Like, you'll be walking along and you'll just hear this really faint
4: ah, ah, and it just gets
2: louder and louder as they get closer.
3: That sounds like the um, um, the splices, when you hear the splices like, laughing yeah. and
0: stuff before they get to you. Uh, yeah. No, don't like them. Oh,
2: yeah. or, or the witch in the Left 4 Dead game. Oh, God, doctor. not
1: well, <laughs> i admit, oh, the no. flashbacks you to my won. friend playing it, and I found the witch. I'm going to throw this Molotov at it. That, that should sort it out. I didn't know that fire makes her angry. <laughs> and my friend just saw me at the end of a tunnel running away with this flaming witch chasing me and I was screaming. was <laughs> like, like fucking help me! Never I again lo- am I throwing a molotov at something, unless I know it will die of fire.
2: I just love the fact that you can have like a, a group of four people playing that game, and the moment that you hear weeping, everybody goes, Switch off your fucking torches! <laughs> Be quiet!
3: don't think I'll be ever playing Left for Dead. <laughs> ever.
1: I was just thinking the Horizon games are good for enemies that you can hear before you see them. Some of those robots will make this god-awful noise and then mm. turn around and you just get knocked flying.
3: Yeah. <laughs> the clunking that <laughs> they make when they're walking. Yeah. That's a good example,
0: yeah. So, Nothing really mentioned in terms of combat design, but are there any boss battles that stand out? And especially where combat might be concerned. Becky...
3: The one that always sticks out to me as a really good boss battle is the Poison Ivy battle in Arkham Asylum. Oh my god, yes. It's yeah. such a good battle because you have to you have to be quite clever with how you attack her. It takes a while to figure out the system, you've got minions beating her up. She does make weird sex noises all the way through when you hit her, which is a bit odd. It was made a while ago now.
1: <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it I really love...
3: Time. It was a different time. I really love that battle because I think it's quite... If It's not too difficult, but it feels like a real achievement when you finish that one. And it's quite a good character one as well in terms of sort of what she's trying to do within Arkham and how it affects and changes the landscape afterwards as well, which is really cool. And the other one isn't strictly a boss battle, but I really wanted to mention it because it's a really fun mechanic, is the nemesis system in Shadow of War. No, Shadow of Mordor, the good one.
1: Well, the both good. Well, yeah,
3: but the better one. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so for anyone who hasn't played it, you have the Orc and Uruk captains, and if they kill you or you kill them, they will come looking for you. And you can go and seek them out as well to to get them back in a a vendetta mission. And it makes for some really fun sideline storytelling. I I remember I had this ongoing war with this very tiny one that was just really irritating. He had like poison damage or something. So he just kept hitting me and poisoning me and I couldn't get past it. So when I finally killed him, I was like, yes, and immediately went to find him to kill him again. And it backfired. So I think even within the bigger story, just those little battles that you're having gives a really personal element to the story. And also playing online, you could go and kill captains that had killed your friends. So that was really fun. That's um, the, I I'm still thinking about, the, I mean,
0: to be fair, Arkham Asylum has so many great boss battles. Yes, yes, like, it does. Yeah, Ivy is absolutely a standout.
1: That's, yeah, the best one for me. Yeah.
0: Well, Andy, you spoke up next, so...
1: <laughs> yeah i've got two that come to mind mm-hmm. first one's fairly recent it's a heimdall in god of war ragnarok yes i will be honest initially i forgot his fucking name so i just wrote the predicting guy in god of war ragnarok <laughs> I <couldn't> remember heimdall i've got to be honest so the predicting guy in god of war ragnarok <laughs> fight it's like really epic and intense they spent a good deal of time establishing that You can't get the drop on Heimdall. He knows everything. He's seen Mm. the future. He knows every move you're going to make. You get to have a little mini-boss battle against him as Atreus, and he absolutely just clowns you the entire time so there's this constant tension about how do you beat a guy that knows everything you're going to do so when it comes to actually the big fight with Heimdall you've brought a new weapon into the system and it's one that can't it's been a while since I've played it so I don't quite remember how it works the weapon itself but for some reason Heimdall can't anticipate it
3: isn't it I think it's something to do with what it's made of isn't it I think because you create it each time so he can't latch on yeah
1: the way the fight works like you're trying to hit him with this thing it doesn't tell you how to fight him. So you're just taking swings at him and he's dodging you and everything. And you're like, for fuck's sake. So you try throwing the spear at him. He grabs it. for for a while, I was just like kept throwing at him. going, God damn it. He keeps grabbing it. And then I realized you can, when you throw that thing, the, the spear, you can detonate it from a distance. So he's grabbing it and he's just talking shit to you. And I just thought, OK, let's try this. I hit the button. It detonates. It just fucks him up. And it's like, oh, right, now I get it. And everything clicks into place at that point. Suddenly, you know how to beat him. And it's just the amount of time they spent building this character up. It's it's just an exhilarating feeling that you finally know how to fuck him up. (laughs) And when you finally do kill him, it's the only time I've really understood that real visceral bloodlust feeling that fans (laughs) of the original God of Wars got seeing (laughs) Kratos fuck up all the Pantheon. It's like, oh, yeah, now I get it because I just hated that fucking dude. But even though the implications of the story are quite scary afterwards, Mm. it plays into the themes of fate and dooming yourself, writing your own story. You're very nervous after he dies, but the fight itself is so exhilarating because you think, finally, I'm going to wipe that smug look off predicting guy's fucking face and scott
3: porter's performance is so great as well because he he's... is so insufferable all the way through
1: yeah well scott porter's a really underrated voice actor yes he's really good in everything he does like he just kind of sneaks out of nowhere but yeah he's he's great at that character he's he's not as detestable as odin because odin gets to do all the big disgusting stuff but heimdall really makes a quick impression on you thinking i hope i get to tear that man's <laughs> head off
3: yeah <laughs> i wish to beat
1: him with his own limbs oh just let me just really <laughs> (laughs) indulge in some horrible stuff on him (laughs) (laughs) the other boss battle that comes to mind is Psycho Mantis in Metal Gear Solid Basically, Hideo Kojima is just a fucking genius. I know he he does like to write his games like they're big, long movies with massive cutscenes, but he thinks about video games on a design level that I don't think anyone else can quite comprehend, let alone reach. I love that he can concoct these big, pulpy adventures with crazy characters, but the game design is always the thing that puts it above everything else, because he thinks about it as a video game, which sounds stupid in hindsight, but the further away we get from things like Metal Gear Solid, the more you see games trying to be cinematic trying to be immersive realistic simulator almost and Hideo Kojima doesn't like to do that he likes to think about mechanics as somebody playing them as a game and the way he designed the psychomantis fight is this is a character like an evil telepath basically and he knows that you're in a video game basically <laughs> he'll read your memory card and start taunting you with your play history discuss your playing habits during the game itself he can take control of your controller the dual shock had just come out basically with the vibration function it was a pretty new technology at the time and kojima saw that and thought i'm going to make my telepathic villain just set that off to show that he's got control of your joypad and i just i just love that he thinks about things that way and the, the solution being is just on the original PlayStation version at the very least and I think the GameCube remaster is this really ingenious having to unplug the controller from player one part plug it into player two part and it's the only way you can wrestle control back from this crazy fucking telepath it's just it's it's an incredible thing and it's just considering how fucking old that game is now and barely anyone else has even tried to do something on that level it's just really impressive I I,
2: I love it I actually guessed that you were going to talk about that <laughs> I I remember when that came out and I was around at my friend's house and he told me about the whole oh yeah you've got to unplug the controller and plug it into the other one and I was like nah you're taking the piss out of me (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) it's yeah it's a genius level move
0: any from you in terms of boss battles Foxy
2: yeah so for me I'm not typically one for the the boss battle bit I like a final encounter that feels a bit more travelled where you don't just kind of stay in one place and face down the bad guy like I I mean I do like those as well you know stuff like like Doom and Hades they have those kind of like intense battles down and and I do like them but yeah I like a final encounter that you kind of move through or feels a bit more sprawling so for me a big one is the Strider battle at the end of Half-Life 2 episode 2 oh yeah it's set in this kind of Wide open facility that's kind of spread out over a section of forest, and you have to kind of fend off an attack from I think it's maybe 10 or so striders coming in. Um, And you have to take these special explosives with you into your roll caged car and fling them at them and, and blow them up. But it just feels like really wonderfully chaotic. You've got people radioing you, telling you where the next one's coming in from, and they're being protected by hunters around their legs as well. So the striders are kind of the classic tripods from the war of the worlds but they're alive and kind of much more flexible and jointed and kind of insectoid and the hunters that are protecting them are, are like something out of like a black mirror episode they're kind of a, a dog-like killing machine that kind of chases you down and they, they really behave like the name you can't even hide inside buildings from them they'll crawl into tight spaces and through rooms to get to you and yeah just the event as a whole just feels like really large scale and an almost kind of insurmountable it's chaotic and you're like flitting back and forward in your car and you're ducking under these big tall legs and the combine have always just felt like an enemy that you just can't face in this kind of way it's always just been like you know you've got to face a few of them and, and run away and hide because there, there are these these like kind of vague allusions through the game to this initial invasion of Earth that they refer to as the seven hour war that's how you nail down the hopelessness of, of like fighting against these guys. The idea that, like, every government and army on Earth went to war at breakfast and the conflict was declared over by, like, mid-afternoon and then you just get this big, big set piece at the end of that that episode there where it feels like you're, you're properly fighting
0: them. That sounds really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound super creepy. <laughs> yeah, so, for me, boss battles that would stand out... <laughs> I like boss battles that have multiple phases. I like just when you think you've beaten them, then gasp, there's more. <laughs> I've, I've been a big fan of that ever since I was young. So of all the ones that came to mind for me, it was the first time I distinctly remember that. And it was Gruntilda from Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I ever played a boss battle where I remember playing it and being like, yeah, I beat it and then there was more and i was like oh no it's not <laughs> i think one of the most underwhelming things in a game is when the boss battle at the end is like really anticlimactic yeah you know when you're like oh okay i guess that's how that ends then versus you know i've spent time chasing around whatever and doing little tasks and stuff and if it all culminates in and like I love as well when you get to use all of the skills you might have built up so in something like Man or Batman you know where you get skill trees and you get better as the game progresses and then by the time you get to that last battle you're like it's actually nice to be able to show off that a little bit yeah sometimes another boss battle that hugely stood out for me in a game that really it's hard to say who is indeed the antagonist aside from the person who made the game <laughs> in near automata of course it was going to be that but the battle with oh um simone yes with the lady robot and the thing about that particular combat is the thing that i wish the whole game could have committed to doing just as well was the way that they made the mechanics of that battle and you know the engine for that battle really speak to the meta of what that particular villain antagonist represented Mm. we talk about this a little bit more in depth on the actual Nier episode but it's just the very basics as an antagonist she's sort of screaming at you to look at her so just look at her that's again it's also in multiple phases and to be fair the first time first two or three times it's fucking annoying yeah it's a hard hard boss battle it's a really Really hard fight in a game that's full of quite difficult boss battles I think yeah but obviously it was a game that really just spoke to me and the combat just really worked for me uh, but the way that she's screaming at you to look at her and she's a character that is very reference so referencing Simone de Beauvoir the French feminist writer and it, the camera will not let you look at her Like, the game literally stops you from doing it. It doesn't matter how you try to twist the camera angles. You cannot look at her. So it makes the combat really hard, for one thing, because you you sort of know vaguely where she is. And she does so much, like, AOE-type spamming and things like that. And you have to move around and be in the right places and stuff. I just, I remember that combat i remember getting to the end of that battle and like honestly i think the emotions that i was feeling like the feelings of i did it and and also that there's something quite heartbreaking in it Mm. (laughs) and then sitting back and realizing what it was actually doing and be like oh my god if the game continues to do this and then it never quite hits the mark as well as it did with that one you know in terms of how it's trying to talk about philosophy and theology and where they intersect and things and is humanity doomed that is humans we're we're the villains in that (laughs) game? I think. Yeah, hundred percent. the the real the real villains was the humans all along, <laughs> which you know. Yeah. Fine. I don't think I'll ever criticize that as a as an ending gambit in anything. <laughs> Just such a strong example in my mind. It's something I could still think about, sit and think about, and be like, oh, if only the rest of the game had done that. And I mean, this is coming from someone who I genuinely love that game. I recognize that it is not faultless, but to me and for what I needed it was flawless but <laughs> all the good bits outshun the things I didn't like in it is essentially what I'm getting at but yeah with this very specific combat I think it's perfectly executed I really do and heartbreaking especially when you get to do the version where you see her backstory mm. and you're like oh no yeah I don't even want to I don't even want to combat her now
3: yeah you're right it's like the one moment where that game fully realizes its potential and it is such a shame that the rest of it doesn't quite hit that mark but yeah it's it's such an excellent example of using combat to to explore further
0: aspects of the story and to be fair for a game that's not subtle at all that is actually quite subtle i don't know that you automatically pick up on that without doing extensive hours of research (laughs) that i did when i had to write about it and then podcast about it yeah that game became an obsession for a while to say the least i guess this leads us into our favorite video game villains I keep swapping to saying antagonist only because I, th- I always think villain sounds like outright you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch type. You know, like, <laughs> like really like... Oh, you're so villainous.
2: They're a wrongin.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're a right wrong'un. But, like, you know, sometimes your favourites are the ones that aren't even... You know, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Sometimes... I, I mean, mine are always the ones that absolutely flip-flop a little bit. Mm. So I mentioned Emmett Selk, who is from final fantasy 14 he's absolutely one of those where depending on where you are in the game will depend on if he's (laughs) an antagonist or not but I love that in a character that like gray area yeah same it can also be really hard when talking about villains and things anyway because I think it would be remiss of us to not just mention that villains often are extraordinarily queer coded yeah And ableism coded as well. Yeah, massively. So sometimes it can be really weird to sit and be like, oh, I like this villain because perhaps I see myself in them. (laughs) Or sometimes, if you're like me, they're just your favourite villains because they're hot. I've not even played Resident Evils, plural. But, you know, Lady Dimitrescu, still one of my favourite villains. (laughs) Like
2: Poster on the wall.
0: I even bought a big hat for my holiday in August so I can I can channel Lady D whilst I'm on the beach. And it is an exceptionally big hat. <laughs> it's great, yeah. It's gonna have wind yeah. drag
3: if you try and run. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, who are some of your who are some of your favourites? Foxy.
2: Okay. I'm gonna throw out my curveball. Okay. My favourite villain is a place.
0: Ooh. Mm. I love this, go
3: for it Yeah,
0: I love how you're like, I love this and I'm like, get out, wanky nonsense <laughs> out the door
1: Curveball oh, get- first answer, that's fucked the rest of us thanks a lot <laughs> <laughs> Coming at just sideways like a kestrel I'm so conventional in my responses <laughs> this is great
2: So my pick is Shale Bridge Cradle from Thief 3 Deadly Shadows There's a point in the, in the latter half of this game where you go to this place and for this, for just this one level, it's a completely different game to the rest of the series. All of a sudden it becomes a kind of precursor to those kind of first-person survival stuff like amnesia or alien isolation, things like that. Usually when you head off on a mission in Thief, Garrett has like something wryly funny to say or like a kind of grin and a wink about the situation, but not here. When you go to the cradle, he's not smiling. He knows that there's something deeply wrong with that place. You kind of hear about it throughout the game and it kind of looms over the city and it was kind of gutted by a a fire years ago. But you learn that at one point it was the city's orphanage and then later it was repurposed as an asylum for some very unsavory patients. And it's not until you're inside kind of reading scraps of paper from orphan kids that you, you piece together what actually happened there. And it's probably the first time that I got like a proper chill kind of running down my spine from a video game. And it was that you realise kind of piecing together these notes and and diary entries that the cradle didn't ever stop being an orphanage. So the lost children of the city continued to live there after its conversion into an asylum.
4: Mm.
2: And they shared the halls and were in close contact with some of the most horrifying characters that you can imagine. Inmates who were, you know, arrested while eating a meal of questionable origin, or the arsonist whose good behavior reward is being given access to the tinder box so that they can light the fire in the lounge. And there are there are nine of these kind of high security inmates that you that you learn about. And there are diary entries from the doctors that speak about the kind of therapies they're testing and kind of other disturbing notes like how they, they shouldn't give too much training in lobotomies to new staff because there's more to be learned from a botched procedure than a successful one. Um <gasps> And yeah, so all, all of these things kind of add up to making this place what it is. And as you go in, you you meet the spirit of a little girl who, who died there and you, your job is basically for the The rest of it is to set her free. And the reason that she's here is because the cradle, it's an entity of sorts. And the reason she's there is because it remembers her and you have to make the place forget her. So it's a villain that's kind of constantly watching you. And when you get the lights back on the place, you, you notice eventually that they kind of swell and dim rhythmically, like it's breathing. And so to remove the memory of this girl, you have to kind of step back into the memory of the cradle and travel into the past and burn the things that it can use to remind itself of her. So getting rid of her nightgown, removing the blood from the scene of her murder, using details that you've learned in the present. And the memories of the staff and the patients will try to stop you. So the patients that you encounter are now called, they're basically Becky's worst nightmare. They're called puppets.
4: Oh, um, Jesus.
2: <laughs> <but they're, laughs> They're like really janky, uncanny movement in their limbs and their heads and hands are kind of covered with wire cages.
3: If I have nightmares tonight, Foxy, I am blaming you.
2: <laughs> anyway, you work your way through this place and unfortunately you've been here too long now and now the building remembers you and you're trapped. So you have to trick it. You have to convince it that you died there in the past. Oh, it's just so good. Like the, the sound of its design in particular is just nightmarish. It's weird like the building can't talk so it it needs to tell you the story of of what it is through the soundscape and the design and the designer talks about the the kind of influences of this this level um and it's things like silent hill and system shock 2 and outside of gaming it's things like session 9 jacob's ladder the shining and a talented guy he he was the same guy who went on to design fort frolic in bioshock
3: yeah yeah
2: yeah it's wonderful so You know, The Cradle, one of my most memorable antagonists in gaming, and it never has a single line of dialogue. It's just a really, really well-designed piece of work. Because you've spent nearly three games now being like, the shadows are my friend. Like, that's what a thief game is. You stick to the shadows. That's where you feel the safest. And when you go there, all of a sudden, you're terrified of what could be hiding in the shadows with you. And one of the, the things you have to do is get the lights switched back on. And you're like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. Finally, finally, finally. So you finally get the lights switched back on. And all of a sudden, there's nowhere to hide. And now you're terrified again, <laughs> but for the opposite reasons. <laughs> it's just a, a great piece of design. And just like a great story that just gives you enough kind of hints and pieces here and there to piece together what what is happening here and what this building is without ever having to kind of outright tell you
1: that's a great answer yeah
3: (laughs) fair enough on the fucker (laughs) (laughs) thanks and i i
2: I apologize to becky for the for the nightmares
3: thank you yeah i'll i will yell at you
2: i mean i did i did leave out some of the more unsavory details
0: if i'm honest (laughs) yeah but there was enough (laughs) (laughs) so becky for you favorite video game villain This is a really, really hard
3: one. You wrote this question! I know. I know. Continue. Sorry. (laughs) I just, I really love a good villain. And and trying to pick one was really hard. And I'm sort of cursing Foxy for realising that picking a place was a good idea. But, (laughs) so I think, like, to return to one of my earlier comments, I think probably Red Dead Redemption 2 has my favourite kind of set of villains so you've got Dutch Vanderlande, you've got Micah Bell, who should be burnt with fire. He's like a villain I love to hate, but also just hate. This, this, hey, not, yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> just the worst. But I think another one as well is, um, and I cannot remember his name now. But he's the capitalist that is going after you all the time from the railroad. And oh fuck! Yeah, you know who I mean. And I meant to. Con so, Wallace. Call, yes, thank you. And he's kind of behind a lot of the inciting incidents that kind of cause you to lose people along the way. And it ends up being, he represents kind of the new world coming through, killing off the kind of the old West and the old frontier lifestyle. And he has a point because these people are stealing his money, but he's also a dick, so I don't care. Um, <laughs> but I, th- I think, you know, he's not a direct antagonist at any point to you. It, it, it is more about Arthur's relationship with Dutch as the game goes on but he kind of he ends up forming this thematic antagonism throughout and is really sort of that sign of the changing of the times and the way arthur's what way of life is dying out and this man represents kind of what america's going to become versus what it is currently and also you get to shoot the ku klux clan a lot in red dead redemption 2 which I really enjoy. And they also die in really creative ways because if you get it just right while they're putting up the cross, it will fall on them and squish three of them. Super satisfying. (laughs) So yeah, so Red Dead Redemption 2 is just like a wash with great villainy. Yeah, that's my pick. Nice. I had
0: a feeling you or Andy were going to mention Red Dead Redemption 2. (laughs) I wasn't sure who it was going to be, but I knew it would be one of you. (laughs) Andy, favourite video game villain?
1: Well... I like Sephiroth would be a really obvious choice. I've already gone into detail about him in our Final Fantasy 7 episode, so I'm going to be a maverick, and I'm picking two, because they're complete polar opposites, but they oh. they capture... Well, oh, Foxy picked a player, so I don't feel like I'm going too maverick, to be personal, Yeah, and, and I
3: picked, I'm, like, a whole host 10. of characters.
1: <laughs> you picked a game. <laughs> <for> yeah. <personal. laughs> so I, I'm the conventional one by picking two instead of one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my, my first pick would be Big Boss, Metal Gear Solid. I mentioned him earlier, but it's the way you grow to understand and empathize with them. The more you understand what they were trying to achieve and how far they've fallen trying to achieve them. He's a straight up villain in the first two games of the series. But then you play as him in Metal Gear Solid 3 and Peace Walker. And it starts to show you what he was like before he became the Big Boss. He was a good man who became a monster trying to envision a better world for everybody. And I thought that was a really interesting, tragic fall. The saga of Metal Gear Solid takes you right through his... It's his story, basically, even when you're not playing as him. And it takes you right through to Metal Gear Solid 4, where you end up feeling quite moved in his eventual death. And you wouldn't have imagined that when you first started playing the Metal Gear Solid series. It was a really masterful job of creating this tragic... He's still an irredeemable bastard, but you feel like there's a certain tragedy to what happened to him. And my other pick is just the absolute opposite of that sort of thing. It's Albert Wesker from the Resident Evil series, because he's not remotely nuanced. His motivations are just Saturday morning cartoon villain levels of fucking nonsense. (laughs) He wears dark glasses no matter where he is. He fakes his death at least once a game. He, <laughs> he just wants to destroy the world just because. Like there's nothing complex or layered to his rationale behind things. He just he's just an evil fuck. And like people might try to find more meaning in his motivations and stuff, but I feel like they're missing the point of the Resident Evil series. It's just supposed to be silly B movie nonsense. And Albert Wesker just wants to destroy the world because he's a mad bastard, and I love it. <laughs>
0: I think, yeah, I think that's that's fair. I again, as previously stated, not played any of the Resident Evils, but even I know who Wesker is and what he stands for.
2: I feel like you would like Ada Wong if you played the games.
0: Yes,
1: yeah, Ada Wong's cool.
0: Well, alas, I will never play the games. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did have my own curveball of sorts about who my favourite video game villain. So we're is. all just being conventional. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the reality is, there's there's too many from actual video games to mention. So mine is something of a ridiculousness, I guess, because it's an antagonist very personal to me and my life, and it is Chip. <laughs> no. <fucking fellow>
1: <laughs> I love it. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm glad you went last, that's the best answer.
0: (laughs) Never have I ever come across (laughs) such such an antagonist.
1: (laughs) Can't fault it either.
0: Uh,
1: (laughs) I've been there for most of it.
0: Yep. (laughs) Doesn't matter the level it doesn't matter it doesn't matter the level it doesn't matter even if it means dooming himself (laughs) if there is an opportunity to ruin my game that opportunity will be seized (laughs) immediately and in the most frustrating ways (laughs) (laughs) to a point where it genuinely i don't think we've ever played fall guys together where it hasn't eventually just become a personal vendetta between the two of us no he turns me into a villain (laughs) as well i will always always remember us being two of the last three standing on the thing where you jump around you have to jump over the thing as it's going round and round and one of us one of us could have won but he couldn't allow that <laughs> he grabbed me we both got knocked off the edge <laughs> hey, why? Why? we played as a team we could have won as a team but no 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 no, no. it's not about winning it's not about winning. <laughs> the true essence of a villain, in my eyes, <laughs> Chip. If you're listening, I love you, dude. But seriously, <laughs> um, I mean, you could also argue the same with Among Us. You could argue the same with Overcooked. What I'm saying is, virtually any game, uh, Grand Theft Auto. Any as game as well, yeah. that yeah, we play together... Oh, I mean, he's obviously the biggest villain in
3: that. So <laughs> My personal favourite ever Among Us game with you two was when he killed you right at the beginning and just <laughs> revealed himself. in yeah. front of us all. Yeah, in <laughs> front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> just because so he, he
1: said he thought he could get away with it if he was quick enough. Yeah, and he <laughs> I nearly don't did he to be fair
3: because nobody believed what we'd seen. Yeah,
1: there was a pause like, wait, what? what, <laughs> wait, what?
0: what? How's such a dead? <laughs> My favourite in Among Us was when I'd killed him really swiftly, but I managed to convince everybody else like it would be the obvious choice for me to go after him straight away. (laughs) So why would I do that? And then I I I proceeded to win. You did. (laughs) It was probably me
1: that got blamed because I usually always got scapegoated.
0: And and the text messages, the vitriol, the memes (laughs) that I was receiving (laughs) in those moments. (laughs) As I managed to trick like seven other people to be like, hi, medicine. Like, I don't know what you're talking
3: about. I'm pretty sure I was the only one being like, I think it's Sasha. And everyone was like, no. It's
0: <laughs> like, fuck's sake. <laughs> Be the most obvious play I hold my times as the as the imposter amongst some of my best video gaming ever which is to say I'm really fucking good at it you are
1: scary good
0: yeah I'm scarily good the times when I knew I was getting caught I could just go so swiftly I think in one time I went through three that was also a great moment to be fair the gasp when someone had hit the button because they'd found a dead body and then realised there were like three more yeah
1: where's everyone else at
0: there was like <laughs> two of us left like oh fuck <laughs> (laughs) Where's everyone (laughs) gone? And I managed to convince around the table (laughs) So that we everyone was pointing to someone else, so all three were alive. And then obviously in that last moment all you have to do is like shank someone <laughs> anyway i realize i'm coming off as the villain here because you know what yeah we but we definitely brought it out in each other and yeah yes. i could not i could not as soon as our favorite video game villain i'm like it's obvious <laughs> <laughs> who has caused me more problems in video games than chip <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know there you go This was one of my favorite questions on the list. I've seen this, I've realized well, we didn't say you. it again. Becky wrote these questions. It's like it's like a dual episode sort of. Yeah. We're working on it together. Becky did the background work. I'm doing the front ground like barely work. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> I'm doing a job. Anyway, this was one of my favorite questions, mm. which was if you could have an existing game remade from the villain's perspective, what would you pick? And I still don't have an answer actually. So, you know, if anyone wants to go, Becky, I feel like you wrote it, so yeah. maybe you had something in mind. So please, go. I, I do. Go. It would be... Well, it wouldn't be remaking a game. It would be a prequel
3: to a game. It would be a prequel to Horizon Zero Dawn from the perspective of Ted Faro. Oh. Yeah. In a kind of like a papers, please, corporate sim almost, where you're having to try and save the world or make all the wrong decisions. And all these uh, morality choices around, you know, do you confess to the fact that you basically wrote a program that is about to destroy the world? Do you try and hide it? Do you try and stop Zero Dawn from happening? You know, all of this sort of stuff. And I think it would it would be a really interesting game to play from a dramatic irony perspective, because you obviously know what decisions Faro made in the existing timeline. But also to kind of get an understanding of kind of what the world was going through during the time of project zero Dawn, which i i think would make a fantastic game or tv series anyway i've talked about it before on the pod but that whole element of the story has always fascinated me and to do it from ted fire's perspective wouldn't be so uncomfortable that i think it would make for a really interesting game
0: that's a really good shout good cool. luck following that Foxy
3: and Andy. My turn to overshadow everyone.
1: (laughs) My idea was to do Super Mario. You're playing Bowser, (laughs) but your job is to set up defences in your castle to stop Mario from getting in there. Oh, that's very You're Kind of like Nintendo's Mm. version of Dungeon Keeper. Mm. I was thinking Mm. how fun that would be to do that kind of game, but with all those iconic super mario characters
2: you, you said dungeon Keeper, so i'm buying a copy
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I knew you'd like that that's a very
0: cool idea i feel like a bowser focused game right now if they could get jack black to do the voice work yes yeah mm-hmm. like they have a prime opportunity here to make a bowser game with jack black
2: because <laughs> he's really good in, in video he's in psychonauts 2
0: yes um, he is
2: and he's very good in it
1: and wow, what the fuck's that game the where you play like a rock star. Brutal like a, Legend. Yes, that's it.
2: That has a, a kind of similar, it's kind of similar mechanically to Sacrifice. It's obviously not, not a particularly popular style of game, given that they barely ever make them.
1: Yeah, they didn't do great.
2: Well, this question kind of stumped me a bit. I think the kind of thing where you get to play an entirely different game, yeah, like like kind of like what you guys were saying. So I, I thought the most I could think of was like, if I could play Bioshock, but from the perspective of Sander Cohen. Ooh. But like before Jack shows up. So it's more of like a management game about staging great theater
4: productions.
1: Um, (laughs) I like it. I love
4: it.
2: But like interspersed with elaborate sequences where you do things like hold auditions for the new role, but you have to kidnap your short list of actors. (laughs) Devise ingenious but deadly audition processes. Resource management. So you can like replace all the sections of the stage that you keep blowing up.
3: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like all oh, the piano keys that you keep exploding
2: <laughs> yep like crafting mini games where you make the costumes but you're against the clock because you have to get the piece of clothing out to them before a fuse burns down or <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know oh, Like I-, I, love that's really good. I love that so I love that so much <laughs> But I thought also you could have a thing where it flicks back and forward between what's real and how Sanders sees it, kind of like what they mm. did at the end of Bioshock 2 with the Little Sisters, where you, yeah. they have that kind of fluffy, idealised look at the world and then occasionally it flicks back to the, oh crap, you're in Rapture.
3: Oh, that's such um, a good idea.
2: I've not thought this out. It needs, it needs mapping. It needs work.
3: <laughs> I did think of, from the perspective of Atlas, like trying to convince Jack to do what he, you want him to do around Rapture, would be quite cool but I couldn't mm. get past that like, initial mechanic but oh my god that idea is so good <laughs> I love it so much yes. <laughs> <laughs> I won that game
2: yeah I guess parts of it could could be like I don't know, theme hospital but rapture in the theatre like, yeah. I don't know
3: <laughs> you have to get like a certain amount of audience members in but they're all splices so you've got to find ways of like controlling the crowd
0: Oh, so good <laughs> I think someone needs to write to I don't know whoever owns Bioshock these days. 2K? I don't. I oh. assume it's the same studio, but it might not be. I think it is, isn't
1: it? It's the same Publisher. Yeah. But I, think the studio, I think the studio's moved on. Oh, yeah, yeah, 2K will yeah. have the rights. Let's make it happen.
0: I'll get the, I'll get the pickets. Yes. So <laughs> get the boards. To be <laughs> it's not something you picket so much as Instead of pickets, it's actually just like picket boards, but they've actually got like storyboarding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I said up front I don't have an answer to this and I still don't, to be honest. So. <laughs> Entirely fair. I just love to hear your answers. That's... It's brought me so much joy. And also, a part of me just, like, desperately, desperately wants to get to the final question. <laughs> I knew you'd love this question. Obviously, I'd love this question. <laughs> Caroline, Andy's partner, asked us, the one at Potter's, to reveal to the world who we find... To be the sexiest villain in video games. And I mean, I don't know, Andy, do you want to go first? It was Caroline who asked.
1: Caroline wanted me to uh, say her pick would be Lady Dimitrescu from Resident Evil oh, Village. Because yeah, yeah. she's got a thing for tall, strong women who could kill her, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. She's yeah. like tall women, though. <laughs> she had a lot of ideas, but I, c- I couldn't think of one for myself. It's like, everybody in Hades was sexy, so I feel like they all cancelled each yeah, other out.
3: Yeah, I did think about that, Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I don't feel like I could say Waluigi because he was never really a villain unfortunately he's just a weirdo that hangs out with Wario <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: fucking fucking sexy though
1: come on he is very he, he's very sexual as a character he has, <sighs> he
0: has he has yeah he has a real sexuality <sighs> about him
1: he's got moods I
3: knew that this was going to happen and I still wasn't prepared <laughs>
1: When we played Super Mario, uh, Mario Strikers, Iris even noticed how flirtatious Waluigi <laughs> was being. <laughs> so, wow, he's really—oh my god, the I corrupting views! Like, yeah, beef. He is. he's Lafario.
0: <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes you just have the vibe.
1: Yeah, he's—he's very—he's a lover, not a fighter. That's why he doesn't <laughs> fight Mario often. So I think I'm—I decided this was another suggestion by Carolyn, It's clicked with me the most. It's going back to Metal Gear Solid again. I I'm apparently a Hideo Kojima simp. Yeah, we knew that. But It's a sniper wolf. I find there's something quite appealing about a woman who can kill you before you even know they're there.
0: (laughs) 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 I love you. (laughs) Boom. what? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, who wants to follow that? (laughs) I mean,
3: mine's been mentioned already a few times and anyone who listened to the Final Fantasy VII episode will probably guess. But I have two types. (laughs) Himbo or hot goth boy. So there's no real himbo villains that take my fancy. It has to be Zephyroth. Because he appears with choirs singing, flames behind him, the amazing hair, the ridiculous sword. And he's just very sad and hot and goth. So yeah, Zephyroth's mine. I just want to give him a hug and tell him it's all going to be okay. And he stabs you. And then he stabs me, yeah. It's a little bit awkward.
0: Also so Fair. fair. <laughs> Foxy.
2: Ah, this one was really difficult.
1: Is it a place?
0: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Oh, Oh, look at that! Look at that gothic architecture. Hey, don't knock
3: it.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I have had moments in front of gothic architecture. (laughs) (laughs) Oh.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um... (laughs) It's another episode
1: of being brutally honest. (laughs) Hey,
3: some of those carvings, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Woof.
0: I, yeah, you think broken,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was already broken, it's all right.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, I he think... was on the last episode with
2: this. <laughs> He's been
1: through so... it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was saying to Becky before we we did this episode that I was trying to think of, you know, the sexy villains. The only ones that I could think of off the top of my head were the the very, like, straight red-blooded male kind of ones. <laughs> And I was like, ah, oh, don't be so predictable and obvious, Andrew. I forgot you yep. called Andrew for a second. Yeah, I he, thought, why right am <laughs> <voice. laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
2: I? I've gotten too used to people at work calling me Andrew now. But yeah, you know the sorts like Lady D or like I don't know, Melina from Mortal Kombat. You know, the kind of woman who can bite your head off.
1: Um, <laughs> but <laughs> therapists just have a field the... day with us.
3: Yeah, yeah. Never <laughs> played the... this bit to my therapist.
2: <laughs> who's 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 the third? fury sister in hades oh to Tis- you know the one murder
3: yes murder. <laughs> murder
2: yeah maybe her you know maybe i could change her yeah <laughs> syphony, you know, I, yeah. You know she'd, she'd get home after a long day you'd, you'd be like what do you fancy for tea and she'd be like Mur- Murder. yeah 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 murder <laughs> murder yeah gotcha again sure fine <laughs> we don't have it <laughs> but i'll whip it up i'll whip it up <laughs>
3: I do love Electo of the Furies in yes. Hades. Andy's right, everyone is sexy in Hades. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's impossible to pick one.
3: Yeah. Just just like just walking bits of hotness all over the game. Yeah,
2: I kinda I kinda don't even think of any of them as villains. Like they, I mean, you know, they're they're Greek gods, so they're very obviously are Theseus is a
1: prick.
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yes. God, Theseus okay. can die. He's,
2: yeah, he's the main <laughs> villain.
1: <laughs> he's definitely a Himbo. But yeah but he's fucking... not he's
3: not an attractive himbo no there's there's a fine line between attractive himbo and want to punch you in the face himbo
2: so yeah we've we've established women who can kill you tends to be the yeah very the, sexy. the main the main through line yeah
1: there's a weirdly common theme <laughs>
3: <laughs> again not a therapy podcast
2: i did i did try to avoid villains that appear in like live action cutscenes. So, like, the Red Alert series.
1: <laughs> all right.
2: Because I kind of feel like that's cheating a bit if they just get classically very attractive people to just act in a <laughs> in a, a, a cheesy TV show, but then put it in as cut scenes in a, in a game.
0: So, first of all, I'd like to say that I'm obviously entirely with Caroline here and Lady D. She's possibly one of the hottest characters in anything. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I've not played the game and never will. And yet... She turns into a giant
1: dragon monster thing
0: yeah but so do i three
3: days out of a month
0: (laughs) (laughs) several you could go with from honestly any final fantasy to be fair the final fantasy do like to make confusing villains at the very least because they always have long beautiful hair they're always a bit goth inclined which is you know my thing my jam (laughs) effeminate men or women with swords they're my they're my (laughs) thing so two of my things anyway the third though and i thought about it and i thought about it as soon as i read the question and do you know what i'm just i'm fucking sticking with it it's wario bitches it is wario wario is the hottest video game character he is pudgy he knows what that he wants
1: <laughs> <laughs> gets me
0: he <laughs> gets me yeah i just i knew you were gonna mention I, wario and i'd forgotten you
1: hadn't so far <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shit. You, you told, you said, you threatened any of us if we mentioned Wario ourselves. Yeah, I did in passing, and I, I got away with it.
0: Yeah, you got away with it. No, it's fine. Um, Jesus, Wario <laughs> is, is he's, he's my guy. Wario is my guy. Short, fat king. Honestly, <laughs> I like. He looks like he gives the best hugs, and you know, if, like I, I yeah, great color scheme as well yellow and purple is so complimentary in terms of colors
2: <laughs> fashion icon
0: fashion icon
2: he's he's multi-talented good driver yeah
0: <laughs> yeah
3: yeah he's very capable um. of saying his own name repeatedly <laughs>
0: Wario. <laughs> I had originally threatened to sing Bad Guy <laughs> in the style of Wario, and unfortunately I forgot about that until this moment, so do you know what, maybe it can be an addendum at some point to some episode. <laughs> maybe this episode.
1: Um, or
0: maybe not. Bonus content. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe never. Maybe that's not a thing any of us really need to hear.
1: I do, kind of. No, the truth is, he just <laughs> happens if, to, to be <laughs>
0: The, the the villain that stands out to me from the earliest days of me playing video games, I just, yeah, I just remember Wario and any time he's in Mario, because it's all about Bowser, right? But any time Wario's there, I find myself smiling in a way that I don't with any of the, <laughs> of the villains. He's just great. He's the best. And, you know, that's sometimes all you need. Wow, so
2: that's now going to turn into a meme where it's going to be like, "Does he make you smile?" And it's just Wario. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I also did not want to be, you know, straight white male about it. So, (laughs) um, I think I'm not at all. No, but um, you know what I mean. Definitely dodged all of those. (laughs) There's my answer. Take it for the truth that you feel you wish to. (laughs) Nice, sure.
2: Oh. King from Tekken.
3: <gasps> yes! Oh yeah, King. Oh, yes. Good shout. Tiger Boy. There you go,
1: Tiger Boy. There's a sexy. There's another person that could kill you very quickly. Yep.
3: <laughs> and I would thank him for it. <laughs> oh
1: boy. That's yeah, Power Drive, me daddy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I don't.
1: I didn't mean it in that way. Never mind. <laughs> Google N- it. I meant a wrestling move, but it doesn't help.
0: Yeah, I mm. don't. I don't think we can. We can be the ending of this podcast better than power drive me <laughs> yeah. daddy yeah. <laughs> do you know what maybe that's the Wario thing right wasn't it Pedro Pascal who said that daddy is a state of mind Wario has big daddy energy yeah right
1: I'm a Warrior. I'm a gonna win
0: we've been the one of podcast <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening if you made it this far Apologies.
1: <laughs> I regret nothing.
0: <laughs> I'm Bash, and you can find me on things as Bash at Demonhead. I don't know what what platforms will still be standing by the time this podcast goes <laughs> out, but generally speaking, I'm still always Bash at Demonhead. Becky, where can people find you?
3: I am Becky Gracely on Instagram and maybe Twitter. Who knows? Foxy?
2: I'm on Twitter for however much longer at Digital Sneeze, and I'm on Instagram at Sneezing Fox.
0: Blushy <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Andy. You can find me for the time being on Twitter at Truly Underscore Defective, but I have been promised a Blue Sky invite, so I might be on that. But I don't know what my name is yet, so Ooh. I'm not helpful. Check you out, Fancy Pants. Yeah
2: the elite <laughs> yeah, well,
1: well i will give you all one when i get my get, get in the door i will leave it once open for you all. <laughs> thank you <laughs> yep yep we what up pod
0: on again most social medias if you've liked what we've done here today please do subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and maybe even give us a review we like that it's nice it makes us feel good and don't forget when all is said and done to get a life and play video games, especially ones with sexy villains. <laughs> Rawr. <laughs> Pal
3: <Pal-dried> join me, daddy. <laughs>